Welcome to episode 9 of the WebJoy podcast. I'm your host, Eddie. In this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, We're Like Detectives with Nick Taylor. Welcome to another episode of WebJoy. I'm excited to have Nick Taylor with us today. Nick, how about you share who you are, what you do, where you work, a general overview of yourself. Yeah, for sure. My name is Nick Taylor. I'm from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, so east coast of Canada. I'm a staff software engineer at Netlify, working on the ecosystem team specifically the sub team, I guess we call them pods. I'm on the frameworks team. So that means what we do is we're trying to make things work as seamlessly as possible for anything you deploy to Netlify in terms of frameworks and stuff. So that's pretty much what I do uh, in my day-to-day. What's your journey been like? How did you first get involved in tech and programming? That's a great question. So I wasn't one of those. I've been coding since I was two years old in a diaper, (laughs) but we did have two family computers that I do remember vividly. So we had a VIC-20. I can't remember what year that came out, but wasn't really doing programming so much. It was QBasic, but it was more like printing your name across the screen multiple times, stuff like that. I was pretty young at the time. And then we got a second computer in the 80s. It was a cloned PC because that was the thing at the time because an IBM PC was super expensive. Even there, I didn't really do too much programming, but my father's an accountant. And so he had a program on there that was called Lotus 123, which is equivalent to probably what Excel is today. It's like, it was from the company Lotus a long time ago. And we didn't have games at the time. So all I would do is draw pie charts, just filling in formulas. And it was (laughs) on a monochrome yellow screen, but it was fun. That was kind of my intro to computers. Later on, I think like a lot of people, you don't really know what you want to do in life. And so I went to school in Quebec. There's something called CJEP. It's like grade 12 and 13. It's pre-university where you're not paying university prices. So it's actually a great way to figure out what you want to do if you're not positive. Cool. So I went there and I didn't do so well my first semester. I had a girlfriend. I kind of ignored a lot of things. And After that, I got things back on track and I always did well at math. So I took some calculus courses and ended up taking a C++ course. It wasn't anything super advanced. It was like intro to C++, but I remember the final test, it was drawing a Christmas tree with stars and (laughs) I did well in the course between that and a cousin of mine who had done a computer science co-op program in the Maritimes of Canada. Those were the two reasons why I went into computer science. Aside from that, in the early 90s, this was also when the internet really started to take off. So I learned HTML, JavaScript, and CSS in notepad.exe on my, I think at the time it was probably Windows 98, maybe Windows 95. And from there, started using other things like Dreamweaver and so on. I was always interested in web. I finished school and then started programming. And then that's how it all really started. I feel like it's kind of boring because there's nothing super dramatic about it, but you know, that's how I got here. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. At least to me, it's interesting. There's definitely some overlaps. I remember the first computer I used was actually a laptop that my dad had. It was a tan laptop, deep, thick, and it actually ran off of floppy drives. So you put one floppy disk in 
For those who don't know what a floppy disk is, it's very small compared to DVDs and yeah. CDs. And you put one in that was an actual operating system. And then you would have the other one that was the application you were going to use. So that was pretty fun. It was all text-based and stuff. And so you'd put in your operating system and boot up. Then you'd put in the other floppy drive and you would just hot swap the different floppy disks depending on what you wanted to do next. <laughs> I got you. I actually forgot to mention one thing that I just remembered. So in elementary school, they got Apple IIe computers there. Okay, nice. There's a program that maybe some folks know, but maybe they don't. It's called Logo and it's a drawing program. So if you've ever seen like Spirograph or stuff like that, you would have a screen where you would have this triangle, which was the turtle. Cause when they used to still sell software in boxes, the picture of the actual software looked amazing. And then you would see the software. So this like cool looking turtle was just a triangle, but you could do stuff like you could say forward 20, right? 30 and so on. And you could draw polygons. You could do really complex things and you could loop and stuff. It was a lot of fun and it kind of sp spurs creativity a bit because you wanted to draw cool things that just popped in my head as well. That's cool. And it's funny because the people who listen to this, some will be programming for a while and others will be learning programming and some won't even be programmers. They'll be designers or anyone in the tech industry really. But people who are curious about learning programming today you get to go and do Swift Playgrounds where you have this little 3D creature and when you program, yeah. you get to see him move across the screen. Nick and I, we were dealing with text. We were dealing with little yeah, triangles yeah. and stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> count yourselves happy. You get to have really cool 3D graphics when you're learning to program. <laughs> no, for sure. And that's one thing I'll say about the web and it's been said many times by other people too, but seeing what you do instantly is really gratifying when you're building something. I remember FTPing websites up to hosting, but literally I got these lines of code I just wrote. I'm pushing it somewhere. You know, nowadays it'll be somewhere like Netlify where I work or another provider, but it's just really cool to see those things almost instantly after you've actually built them. And the whole development environment is pretty awesome these days as well. Yeah, I agree. Oftentimes you'll have hot reloading, right? So you type something in a file, you hit save and your browser automatically refreshes to show the changes you made, like no having to click in a refresh button. And then you hit a command line or a button to push it up. I use Netlify for, for my personal websites. And so I just throw it up to my Git repo and in less than 10 minutes, if you hit my website, it looks just the same way it did on my computer. I'm sure less than 10 minutes, I just walk away and come back and check on it and it's there. So I don't actually know how long it yeah. takes. It's amazing how quick and responsive tools are today. It's exciting. For sure, for sure. It's a good time to be alive as a programmer. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, one of the kind of main topics we talk about um, on WebJoy, hey, what is something that brings us joy? People have always been super important to me at a job. And I've been lucky enough at pretty much all the places I've ever worked at to work with, you know, talented and just cool people that people like I would actually hang out with, you know what I mean? And so people are super important. But aside from that, figuring something out, I always tell people whatever we're doing, we're like detectives, whether you're fixing a bug, so you're trying to crack the case, or you're just trying to get a feature out and you're just, why isn't this working? There's definitely some satisfaction in building things for sure. 
that's definitely great. One of the other things is I'm a big fan of open source. So where I'm working at now, all the stuff I'm working on is open source. Previously, I worked at Forum that runs sites like Dev2 and Code Newbie. That whole project is open source as well. I like open source because you're not limited to the people you work with. I can put my code up there and somebody could provide a suggestion that would never happen if you were just working closed source in your own company. Don't get me wrong, like some stuff does need to be closed source because of intellectual property, but front end as an example, pretty much our entire tool chain is all open source, you know, started off with stuff like Browserify, Browser Sync, and then we have Webpack, and we've got stuff like Parcel now, Babel, Rust is open source. There's all these things like they're literally all open source. And you can see that it's actually pushed forward tool chains and development through all that collaboration because all of that code was put out there. So I really like that about it. But another aspect, which gets back to people is I really like interacting with the developer community. It's something I enjoy a lot. And by having all that out there, it's a great way where people can also learn. It's something else that folks maybe they realize it, but they forget sometimes you literally have all this code out here. You're trying to learn something. You want to figure out how something bundles, go look in a bundler project. The code is literally all there. I think those are the things that bring me joy, at least right now in my career. I love that. I mean, speaking about open source and being able to look at the source code of something, like I can't remember the number of times where I've been trying to do something and I know something that does it similarly or, you know, I'm using an open source thing in my code and something's not going right. And so you actually get to go down and dig into the source and figure out, okay, what is going on here? And in some ways it helps you up your understanding of programming. There are times I opened up open source projects and I'm just overwhelmed. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on here. But then years later, like I opened up something similar and I really felt like I was starting to feel more stable as a senior programmer when I suddenly realized I could look at some really complex open source projects and I could actually understand what was going on in it. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, how do I understand this? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And the other thing is, I say this to tons of folks because I'm in several developer communities. One of them is my virtual coffee community. Yourself and myself, we're in the Collab Lab, which is helping out other developers. And I think open source is a great way to get experience if you don't have experience right now. I'll put this with the caveat that I understand everybody's situation is different. You might not be able to dedicate a ton of time to this, but... What I will say is if you can, I, I think it can be super helpful. I'm not going to say it's going to guarantee you anything, but if you're a career changer, for example, and you start contributing to some open source projects, or you even create your own open source project, this is experience that you can bring to the table or talk about when you're in an interview, especially if you're transitioning where you don't have that initial work experience, or even somebody that's just starting out in tech, it's the same thing. It's the catch 22. Like a lot of people, I had a hard time landing my first job. I wasn't doing open source back then because this was a long, long time ago, but it's another way that I think could definitely open doors for you to potentially land some gigs. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's helpful to give you more experience to talk about beyond just your own experiences of, oh, hey, I built this project that only I touched. Well, a big thing that employers want to know is like, how do you interact with people and how do you engage with people? And can you actually be on a team and being open source, um, especially in this new kind of 
remote first world, obviously not every company, you know, allows people to work remotely, but with so many doing that, if you're looking for a remote job, they want to know, can you work with other people, but not in the same room? Yeah, that's exactly what open source is like, it's a bunch of people across the world working together on stuff. And if you're just learning, starting out, because you have to put in like a pull request, like you have to do in your job, that can be really helpful because you can say, hey, I'm going to tackle this bug for this open source project. And people can give you feedback and say, hey, uh, actually, you know, this is not the most performing. Like maybe you can improve the performance here. And so then you know what thing to focus on and come back and fix that. In some ways, it helps target your learning in like a real world project. I know open source can be really overwhelming. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any advice that you would give someone if they're thinking about it, but they're nervous or they've never done it? What would you say yeah. to them? Yeah, all those feelings are super valid. I was super stressed out when I did my first open source pull request back in 2015. There's a website, I think it's called firstpr.me. And if you do firstpr.me slash your GitHub username, you'll find your first contribution. Mine didn't go that great. It wasn't terrible, but I think I had in my head, I'm trying to make this thing perfect. I'm going to push it up and then it's going to get merged. Obviously there was feedback. This is also pre-code formatters like uh, Prettier and stuff. So a lot of the stuff, if you happen to be reading it, you'll see it says, oh, can you change this tabbing or like spacing? That kind of stuff wouldn't happen today, but... The advice I would give though is I gave a talk for Hacktoberfest in 2020 that I think would be super helpful. It talks about getting the most out of open source from a maintainer's point of view, contributor, and also from a first-time contributor. And I think for not just first-time contributors, but even people who are just still using into it, there's a lot of things that can be intimidating, Git being one of them. I've had people say, oh my God, I'm not sure what happened. I did this thing and now my branch is all messed up. What do I do? Getting past the Git barrier is one thing and you don't have to become a Git expert. I think if you do get stuck on something, there's communities out there and people willing to help you. Like I said, like my virtual coffee community is really great with this. Brian Douglas, who's working full-time on another project called opensauce.pizza. This is their whole goal. It's getting people in to open source and helping them out. There's more people out there than you realize that actually want to help you. It's just how you approach them for the help. I think you have to let go of that, oh no, everybody's going to see my code and maybe it's terrible kind of feeling. It's a valid feeling, but I think if you can get past that, I think that's the big hurdle. Once you tear that bandaid off, it's like, okay, I've put all my dirty laundry out there and it's not even necessarily dirty laundry. It's probably <laughs> clean laundry, but I think it's just getting past that. And this ties into like putting yourself out in public as well. Not everybody's super comfortable with that, but I can 100% say that putting myself out there has definitely skyrocketed my career since I've been doing that, like open source, being active on Twitter, giving talks, all those things have 100% helped me. Tear off that bandaid is all I would say. That's great. And I think your fear is everyone's going to see this and it's going to think it's horrible. Well, there's a couple things there, right? The more open source you do, the less chances that someone is going to look at like the one commit that you made that's bad. So, so if you do a lot of commits, then it's hard to find that one line that's messed up. Put yourself out there, do a lot. People probably aren't going to look that closely at the one line that you're embarrassed about. In worst case scenario, whether you're putting yourself out there on Twitter, in public, whether you're putting it out there on an open source, Oftentimes the worst case scenario is actually no one 
sees what you do, which can't be that embarrassing because no one saw it. Like it's like a tree in the forest, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, I don't think my first PR was that great. So honestly, even if your first PR or first few commits aren't that great, it's not a big deal because it's just getting out there and doing it. And your code's just going to get better regardless. You know, even once you're like a year from now, if you were to look back at stuff you did, you're like, why did I do that? Or because you're constantly learning, you know, and you're improving on things. And like, I'm sure if I looked at code I did 10 years ago, I'd be what's going on there. Definitely don't be embarrassed. Just tear off that bandaid, start doing stuff in open source if you can. I think that's super helpful. And I'd say also lean a lot onto community. And I mean that in the sense that like, it's not take, take, take. I mean, generally foster relationships with people. We see this in the collab lab. My virtual coffee community is like this. There's lots of other great communities out there too. I think sometimes people have a hard time finding them. There's that too. There's definitely communities out there. And sometimes literally just say, hey, where's a good community to go to, you know? I've had just a lot of great things happen to me, including I got my job at Dev2. Well, it's form now, but it was Dev2 at the time. And I got that because I was their first contributor to the code base, like nice. outside of the core team. And I'd been contributing to the project for almost two years. Me and one of the co-founders followed each other on Twitter and just happened to be in a conversation in a DM one day. Um, I was interviewing somewhere. It didn't work out. And he's like, oh, by the way, we're hiring. And that would have never happened one for sure if I hadn't been contributing to the code base, but also just that I happened to connect with him on Twitter. It's not like we were best friends or anything, but just being connected helped, you know, it can be tough. I understand, but if you can put yourself out there, I think it'll bring great things to your career. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's great for those who want to feel a little bit better about their code. Here's what I'm going to do. I looked at my first PR. Uh, it was pretty bad. It was actually something <laughs> I had to contribute to with a company in order to try to get a job with them. Okay. Spoiler alert. I did not get the job. <laughs> so in the show notes, I will link to my first PR and Nick, I'm going to look up your first PR using that same tool. I'm going to include our first yeah, PRs yeah. in there. So feel free to check those out. And maybe that will encourage everyone to go out there and do their first PR if they haven't yet. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, it's definitely a fun site. And I'd also encourage you, if you do go to that site, go look at the first PRs of people you look up to or, or that you think are like awesome in the community. Oh, that's good. And just see, and I'm not saying this to throw shade on them. I just mean everybody's human and everybody starts somewhere. Just throwing that out there. That's right. Yeah, no, that's great, I think. Yeah, we, we all start somewhere. So check out where people started and you'll feel better about where you're at and where you want to go. Awesome. Well, in wrapping up this episode, I always want to see what a guest might have to share with the community that they might be interested in checking out. And so Nick, uh, what would you like to share with the community? Yeah, well, I do stream since I've switched jobs. I used to stream for Dev2, but I'm streaming on my own stream again, slowly building that up. So if you go to livecoding.ca, that's where I stream on Twitch. I've been trying to do it on Wednesdays. They're recorded as well, and I upload them to my YouTube channel that you can check out too if you want. My YouTube channel, though, really is just pretty much the recordings right now. Maybe I'll do something else with that at some point. And aside from that, I'm a big fan of VS Code, and I started a community for it. Started off on Twitter, and then last year, I also added a community site to it. So if you go to vscodetips.com, 
it's just people posting tutorials or this is what I learned. Uh, I like to post a tip of the week, just kind of things that I pull from off of Twitter or just people have suggested to me. So if you're a big fan of VS Code, maybe check that out. Nice. That's awesome. Well, great. Um, I'll have links to all the things I mentioned throughout this episode in the show notes. So if anything stuck out to anyone, feel free to check out the show notes, click on the links of the things that interested you. And Nick, thanks so much for joining me today and just chatting about fun stuff and helping people kind of put themselves out there. Yeah, thanks a lot, Eddie. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us for episode nine, We're Like Detectives with Nick Taylor. You can find out more about Nick on his Twitter, at NickyTOnline. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Nick's Twitter in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help others discover it as well by rating and reviewing it in your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at WebJoyFM. Thank you for listening, and have a great day.